Right. Not to mention the pollution now of that pollen infiltrating other people's farms for miles and miles and miles. People always say, oh, it's only going to spread three miles. I call absolute bullshit. That is not true. It can spread for literally tens, twenties, hundreds of miles. It is all weather specific. And there are those opportunities where Mother Nature takes that opportunity to go, oh yeah, watch this. And all of a sudden, you're 40 miles away from the regular, you know, the regular hemp farm, and you're a feminized farm, yet your entire field is seeded out. Right. And, and, and that's a great point that you're making because you're you're literally reducing you you're reducing the likelihood of your success by cutting these corners. You know, in your business, if you are functioning as a business, you're func- you're jeopardizing loss of a lot more by just taking that early savings. And you're going to end up and it sounds like you're going to end up having to work a lot harder. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you have the discipline to try to go out in your field and throw your males, but I mean, let's talk about let, let, let's just call. I mean, let's 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 bring it back down to even some sort of scope of reality for most. Okay, let's talk about just a ten-acre plot at thirteen hundred plants per acre. That's thirteen thousand plants. Well, if sixty percent of them are only female, so you're telling me somebody's going to take the time to go out and call about 5,000 plants that are male and not miss one, and they're a first-year hemp farmer, they may not even know what a male plant's supposed to look like. Right. And then all of a sudden, you have this massive issue where you have pollen drifting into other farmers' fields, and maybe their fields are 100 acres, and their investment is exceptionally higher than yours. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, there's so many different ways to look at this situation and go, this is not good and it's economic sabotage for your neighbors and your fellow farmers around you because you decided to save a few bucks on the front side of the season and cost everyone else multiple millions of dollars of opportunity too. Yeah, it seems very selfish, very, very, like, uh, very ignorant. And it, it seems like something that, I mean, I, I don't like to get in, you know, involved with state regulatory ideas and policy, but. This does make me think about, you know, I wonder what the Department of Agriculture in each state position will be, you know, as the industry continues to unfold. Because I know you're at the precipice of it with your genetics and and a lot of the projects you have going on. So I'm going to continue to monitor that because it, it seems like there has to be someone to give a regulatory, uh, you know, declaration in order to save the industry, because if you have that one farmer that's in a in a in an area like where you're at down in the Willamette Valley, and they pollinate, you know, if half of those ten acre plants, going back to your example, if half of that field pollinates, and you've got basically five acres of pollen that's drifting into the air, that's a significant yeah. impact. Yeah, it's. It's disastrous. I mean, here's a great example, and you're, you're slightly privy to it. And there's a farm just north of Albany, literally right off the I-5. Like, you drive by the prop, the property line abuts up to the I-5. It's a 100-acre pivot. That fella has decided to put in regular seed. That's 100 acres. 
there's no less than a hundred thousand plants out there. It's the likelihood is there's probably about 130 to 150,000 plants out underneath that hundred acre pivot. It's regular seed because feminized seed was an int- a barrier to entry for them. That one plot right there on the I-5 based on the topography and how much wind comes through there. And the fact of the matter is, is that hundreds of thousands of vehicles a day drive to and from and past that. That is going to be like a time bomb for the entire Willamette Valley regarding fall. Yeah, absolutely. Just semi-trucks are going to blow through, drive through that pollen cloud. What if they have some sort of porous material on them, like, you know, yep. toad sacks or something? Yep. Pollen catches onto that material. They might be driving all the way to the far north end of Washington or eastern Washington or Idaho or all the way to southern California. Who knows? Doesn't matter because it's going to go everywhere. I mean, it's, it's, it's a disaster. There's another organization here in the Valley. Apparently it's the head of some sort of specialty seed group. He's going around trying to contract with farmers to do an open pollinated auto flower here in the Valley. What? Apparently he's already contracted with two or three different farmers, eight acres, 10 acres, and then maybe a 20 acre plot. Like what in the hell is that guy thinking? I, I know. This is, again, you know, I mean, not to, to short state it, but this is just ignorant, selfish, like, direction that people are, are, are from what you're describing. And I, I am privy to these. And like you said, the damn, the one, the 100 acre one that's on I 5 that's right next to the 5, there's almost absolute certainty that there's going to be homorphodites because the amount of heat that's going to be coming off of that road and how it's going to create a different climate like throughout the season. So that farmer that you're talking about, again, the 1,300 plants times 100 acres, 130,000 plants, like no one no one can manage that without, you know, allowing some pollen to come off of there. Correct. Well, I mean, someone will be like, oh, well, we'll walk the fields and call all the mail. So you're telling me the labor dollar you're going to spend to do that? Wouldn't have made up for the difference on the feminized seed? Exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, you know, I mean, this isn't my first dance. This is our third season doing hemp work. This is my 20th season doing big work related to this style of plant and large deployments of, of multiple agricultural crops. But in particular, this one is special because of the pollen and the pollution potential that it provides. And it's just... Oregon is an unadulterated state still at this point for hemp pollen. If this is allowed to go on for a couple more years, three or more seasons, it's over with. And it's going to be just like, unfortunately, the middle of the country or our southern states who have that feral hemp or that ditch weed everywhere. And there's nothing they can do about it now because it's basically an indigenous plant. The pollen's going to be there. We continue to allow this shit to happen. It's going to be the same thing here, and no one will ever be able to grow seedless hemp or seedless cannabis again unless it's literally indoors. Yep. And then the whole industrial scope of it changes because you know better than any indoor cultivation of that plant. The economics are very thin, and yes. it's just not practical. But no, so it's not practical to feed to feed the masses. It's not and. I I pride myself as one of the more efficient farmers that I know and are our farmers that we work with. And when 
you have guys like me and other people like me that have done this for a long time that have their efficiencies down to the penny, which we do, and, and we're starting to look at each other like, damn, I don't know if this is a good living anymore. You know that those that don't even have those experiences or efficiencies built in, they're, they're dead in the water before they even start the project. Oh, yeah. They're, 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 yeah. they're in the ready immediately. Absolutely. Well, let's let's shift to what what should be done. What is your recommendation outside of you know from from what's happening? What what is something that you recommend? New states that are coming online, new farmers that are coming online. What what would you recommend for them? I feel like if you have an unadulterated state or region that does not have feral hemp or feral pollen issues existing already. You know, it's, these things all happened pre-World War II, you know, like this is this is a byproduct of us needing the textile of him for right. wars. Right. If you're, in a, if you're in a state that doesn't have a feral issue already, then some sort of protection for your, your hemp farmers there needs to be put into place. And whether that's a, 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 honestly, I don't know how else to say it other than a potential mandate of feminized seed only. Or specific regions thereof, and and I can hear it already. The freedom, you know, the freedom fighters saying that's a that's a you know stepping all over my freedoms and my civil rights and my civil liberties to do what I want with what I want. You know, there might even be you know assimilations with some of the larger ad companies with that type of statement. But hey, it's not a selfish statement. It is for the entire industry, not individually. So everyone needs to do better for themselves and their neighbor in, in, in making those decisions. If you're in a state that's unadulterated, you should have to basically grow feminized seed. That's, I'm just going to flat out say it, at least at this point in time. Yeah, when, no. When this shifts and changes to a whole different scope and level, then maybe some, uh, uh, some changes can happen then. But right now, I mean, there are seed growers and, and fly-by-night brokers and all this shit going on with the seed right now, we only have a year or two to catch this before um, we're, we're ruined, and, and it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the state of Georgia just passed. Uh, the, the Brian Kemp, the governor, signed the bill to get hemp allowed in Georgia. So this is good information to be providing to new states because they need to think about these things and not short-sightedly. You know, this is, like you said, this is an industry at whole, what we're talking about. This is not us talking about one or the other. This is looking at it from a broader standpoint. Because, you know, there's laws in California about, you know, three-year type of usages. And there's different states that have different laws. But this has got, this needs to be something that's in place permanently, I think. Because at any time, this uh, you know pollen could really take over a region and destroy the potential there. And and this crop has got so much potential within the ag industry that we need to protect that. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and here's an idea for those that are already up in arms about the fact that I said that there should be a mandated feminized seed thing. That you know, what if the states were like, okay. Maybe this is where subsidies come into play. You know, like traditional ag. You subsidize the farmers whose barrier to entry yep. is the feminized seed. And you take care of them on the front side of the season and ask for it back on the back side with yep. a little bit of interest. 
All yep. that does is keep the money in the state. It keeps it with the Department of Agriculture per per state. Make sure that that county and, and, and state institution stays intact with a little bit of extra revenue. No one's get, no one should mind. And the fact that if it's subsidized on the front side, the state's going to realize so much more economy from a quality crop opposed to a seeded crop. At the end of the at the end of the whole endeavor, it won't it won't even matter, right? So right. states maybe need to think about subsidy. Even the federal government maybe should think about some sort of subsidy for the farmers so that barrier to entry isn't maybe there. And it just incentivizes uh, the good breeders and the good feminized seed makers to do even better, scale up, et cetera, et cetera, because now we know that there's a mandate that says we need to provide for the country as a whole, and we can expect to do so instead of hoping to do so. And that's exactly, you know, you referenced about the uh – the pharaoh, you know, crops that were out there before World War II, and that's what happened. The government got fully behind it, the federal government, and started protecting the industry for their specific needs. But now it's more based around our health care program. It's more based around our, our economy, independent jobs, byproducts. There's a lot of industry that is going to be realized from this hemp program that's began now on the industrial side so we definitely need to protect it james that's some great points man uh is there anything else that you could leave with them i know you've got a busy day going on we'll, we'll definitely look forward to having you back on uh consistently to talk to talk about different topics that we can go in depth about if anyone out there has a recommendation on what they're specifically looking at or having questions about definitely hit us up at neo420.com on the contact us so we can get some topics. James and I are going to be talking about a lot of things here in the near future. Uh, what do you want to leave them uh, with, brother? Where can they get in touch with you? Uh, you know, I, I think I just leave everybody, you know, um, fairly generic this time and just wish everybody a good, uh, a good farming season, regardless of what you're growing, whether it be food, fiber, or medicine. And, uh, you know, right now people just need to really – Make sure that they're making a, a, a decision that involves not maybe directly, but at least consciously, their neighbor, their surrounding areas, themselves, their endeavors, their efforts, right? Don't, don't be short-sighted on your hemp endeavors and just buy regular seed or non-tested seed or, or who knows what. I know firsthand all too well what it's like to have bad seed. That's why we ended up making our own and now you know providing for others. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes a penny saved is not a dollar earned. A penny saved can honestly be a million dollars lost in this particular endeavor. And it's not it's not a good decision. Run with feminized seed while you can, when you can. Right on. Really appreciate you coming on, James. He had to step off real quick. But you can find James on IG at Garden Warlock. Um, as well as uh, KLR Farms. It's KLR underscore Farms. So if you want to get in touch with them, feel free to contact us at www.neo420.com. There's a Contact Us button option in the menu that you go in. Just submit that, and we'll get in touch with you. As James mentioned, you know, we have, uh, I'm offering seed through James. There's five different options of high CBD feminized seed that's available. 
uh, we just provided 15,000 seeds to a South Carolina farmer, or I'm sorry, North Carolina farmer. There's, uh, what, 60,000 seeds that went down to New Mexico. So we've got uh, capacity right now of about, I think it's 100,000. I think James has about 100,000 plus seeds. So uh, contact me if you're looking for some great feminized seed direct from source, tested, etc. Again, go to www.neo420.com backslash shop to support what we're doing here. Those CBD products are true and tested and we know the source. This is important, people. Know the source of where you're getting stuff. It's just like anything else, food, drinks, anything. Make sure it's a quality source. And what we offer at Neo420 is definitely quality. So check us out at Facebook at Neo420 Media. Uh, on IG, Neo420 Talks, Neo420 Shop, Neo420 Garden, and Neo420 News. Until next time, we talk some more about cannabis and hemp. For all those who are doing, I salute you. <laughs>